dairy milk alternatives have become extremely popular in the past handful of years. If you've been to a coffee shop lately, you'll know what I mean when I say there is an abundance of tasty choices to add to your cup of joe. Almond milk, oat milk, soy milk, milk made from rice, milk made from coconut, cashew, the list goes on and on. But these alternatives aren't always a better option when it comes to the environment. Take almond milk. It can take up to 130 pints of water to produce just one glass of almond milk. That's a lot of water. But there's a newcomer to the world of dairy milk alternatives, a creamy plant-based milk that's made using reused or upcycled materials. The premise of it is really that letting nothing go to waste and really valuing all of the raw material inputs that go into making products. That's Jarek Theo Lovey. I think if we all knew how much goes into every single thing that we eat or drink, we would feel so much appreciation and gratitude on a whole whole different level. Jarek is the co-founder and CEO of Take-Two Foods. Take-Two makes barley milk. To do so, they use what's essentially the leftovers from the beer brewing process. And there are a lot of leftovers. Eight billion pounds of spent grain were going to waste every single year. I knew instantly that we had to do something about it. Spent grain. That's the leftover malt that breweries use to make beer, and it's usually just being thrown away. But Jarek is taking it and using it. He and his team at Take-Two have big goals to reduce the excessive waste in the modern food and beverage industries. Their goal is to make upcycling the norm and they're doing so one cold glass of barley milk at a time. I'm Kristen Meinzer, and this is Innovation Uncovered from Invesco QQQ. This episode, we're chatting with Jarek Theo Lovey, whose life mission is to intercept food waste that's headed to the landfill and give it new life and a new taste. Hello, Jarek. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Kristen. Thanks so much. So happy to be here. For our listeners who may not know, what exactly is upcycling? Great question. So upcycling is transforming things that would typically go to waste, such as byproducts of manufacturing processes, whether it's tech or fashion. In this case, it's food. And we transform what typically goes to waste into something of value. So seeing trash as treasure in a way, the premise of it is really that letting nothing go to waste and really valuing all of the raw material inputs that go into making products. So that's it in a nutshell. Well, I think some of us are familiar with upcycling in those other arenas you mentioned, but with food, food sounds like a whole different ballpark here. It's new to a lot of people. Why do you think this movement is catching on now? You know, like anything right now, with the climate, the need is becoming so pressing that we have to take action. The reality is that 30% of our current food supply goes to waste. That number actually has been estimated to be even higher than that, up to like 40%. So when you think about all of the food that we produce going to waste versus being able to feed people who are hungry, or being able to conserve it and and be really mindful of how we protect the resources that we're using. It's astonishing. And the, the impact of food waste on our climate is also super eye-opening when you look at the statistics. It's one of the biggest contributors to global emissions. 
In fact, our food supply and our food system is a bigger contributor to global emissions than the transportation system combined. So cars and trucks and everything. So it's inefficient, it's broken, it's not working well, and we can do something about that. And I'm curious, how did you personally become interested in upcycling food? What is your connection to this whole industry? So I'm a food entrepreneur, and prior to launching Take Two, I created an organic snack food company. And the whole purpose of that was to make truly healthy foods accessible to the mainstream, accessible to the masses. So what that did was sort of open up Pandora's box, right? It was like, oh, wow, this is like one step in the food system and helping people live truly healthy lives. And wow, there's this whole other side of it which was looking at the number of animals that we use to feed ourselves, billions of fish, hundreds of millions of livestock and cattle. And then similarly, it was like, okay, and then there's this big heap of food waste happening. When I learned that 8 billion pounds of spent grain were going to waste every single year, I knew instantly that we had to do something about it. So we've been working on this for five years now working in partnership with food scientists, engineers, Anheuser-Busch InBev, a major brewery, to figure out how we can tackle food waste, how we can tackle spent grain waste globally. It's been an amazing journey. Despite all of the great things that you're saying about upcycling food, what it does for the environment, how it keeps waste out of landfills, the fact that it can be incredibly delicious, technically it's still waste. Do people ever feel weird about that? Is there resistance to eating upcycled food? I mean, absolutely. People don't want to eat waste for sure. And we've had to be careful sort of in navigating how we talk about it because technically it is food waste. We're essentially taking the byproduct from the beer brewing process while it's in the food safe mechanisms at the production plant and then just transferring it into processing technology that then turns it into a barley protein powder that we then use to craft our milks. But I think the more that people become aware of upcycling, the more that they learn about food waste, there's awareness that this isn't pulling food out of a trash can. (laughs) You know, it'll take time for it to really become a mainstream idea, but it's happening very quickly. Traditionally, in earlier times where resources were more scarce, people were certainly very mindful of the amount of things that they were wasteful about food being one of them. You know, in modern times where we have sort of everything that we need at our fingertips, where we kind of lose some of that resourcefulness. But I think the necessity of taking bold action to protect the climate and to protect the planet and protect the finite resources of the planet a little bit has to do with consumption patterns in this era. Mm. And we have the opportunity to be a lot more mindful of that. For centuries, humans used and reused ingredients in resourceful ways that are lost in today's standard cooking and consumption practices. Industrialization and mass production create a layer of abstraction between us and the food we eat, 
But when you get a chance to see the process up close, you witness firsthand how much waste goes into what stocks our pantries and refrigerators. Jarek and Take-Two are working to revitalize a healthy food philosophy centered on knowledge and resourcefulness. Now, I have to say that the first time I really became aware of barley as waste, which is what you work with, was a couple of years ago. I was on a tour of a small brewery in my husband's hometown in New Zealand, and they were talking about the processes of making the beer and how many thousands of gallons of water they went through and how many thousands Mm. of pounds of barley just ended up being, you know, essentially something they would use briefly and then it would just go to the trash can essentially. And I asked, isn't this wasteful? Isn't there something you can do with this? And I never really got a good answer to that. Is that something that you encountered too, where you just had this aha moment, this moment where you just woke up and you were like, oh my gosh, you're seeing it firsthand. So first and foremost, the statistic that we point to the most is that we're upcycling a pound of spent grain in every single bottle that we make, which is just tremendous just to be like, okay, well, we're diverting, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds of barley at this time from going to landfill. So that's a key metric that's easy for us to measure our impact and then also easy for us to communicate to shoppers. The other thing that we've started to point to and really been focusing on is water usage. Mm. So one gallon of our barley milk conserves 300 gallons of water compared to- Excuse me, 300 gallons? (laughs) Yeah, 300 gallons. Wow, 300 gallons is going into every one gallon of milk, but- that, that's already pre-used 300 gallons in processing. Can you explain that? Yeah, exactly. So essentially, when you look at the amount of water that goes into growing a grain or growing barley or growing grass to feed cows or feeding cows water, when you look at how much goes into those processes generally, and then also cleaning and all of the things that are involved in manufacturing other milks, by not having that initial process involved, by just taking the, the secondary material, we don't have to utilize more water to create this. So if we were going to just go out and use raw barley, then it would be water intensive or almonds or oats similarly. But in this case, we don't. Wow. It's pretty cool. I think if we all knew how much goes into every single thing, that we eat or drink, we would feel so much appreciation and gratitude on a whole whole different level. The same thing happened for us, just a small local craft brewery. We were doing a tour and there were crates worth of grain sitting out behind the brewery with like flies, Oof. but it's like this oatmeal. It's like all, <laughs> it's like this crates of oatmeal, cooked oatmeal. And we were just like, oh my goodness. And there are efforts by brewers to essentially upcycle this by giving it to local farmers will come by and they'll pick up the grain and they'll then feed it to their livestock. So there is an effort to not let the grain go to waste. 
But there's so much of it that they're producing. And to be honest, I mean, they're brewing beer. What are they going to do with a bunch of fibrous leftover fiber and protein? You know, they're not going to bake bread or they haven't had the capacity, I think, in many ways to like address it head on, which is why it's so cool that there's so many companies now are like, hey, actually, I'm going to take that and I'm going to turn it into flour or I'm going to turn it into cookies or bread or like take two, we're going to take it and we're going to turn it into milk and other alternative dairy products, I think it's win-win for everyone. And how exactly did that happen? You go from visiting this microbrewery and making organic snacks to now you've launched this incredible company. Can you walk us through what happened? Interestingly enough, Anheuser-Busch and Bev, one of their scientists had this idea, like he realized that the barley that they were using to brew beer contains a prebiotic fiber that is very unique to barley. It contains a tremendous amount of something called Arabinos islands. And these Arabinos islands are essential for gut health. So like prebiotics, probiotics, the marriage of the two together creates a healthy microbiome. Probiotics are, you know, a really big thing with kombuchas and taking supplements. But without having a prebiotic, they have nothing to eat. And fiber, actually, interestingly enough, the daily recommendation is around 30 grams per day for us. And most humans get around three grams. Oh my gosh. Or less. Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) So this food scientist was like, we're sitting on Arabinos Islands. We're sitting on this prebiotic fiber that could be feeding people well and plant protein which is so sustainable and people are really turning towards plant-based foods to carry out this healthy lifestyle. Like we have to do something about this. So Anheuser-Busch realizing the billions of pounds that they were creating every year said, hey, we're going to develop the technology to do this at the major brewery level. And then my co-founder and I set about creating food applications out of the grain and really figuring out what does the grain taste like? What does it pair well with? What does it what does it not pair well with? Like really testing all the ins and outs of it. Yeah. And what you're doing is elevating what other people are already trying to do when they're purchasing plant-based milks. A lot of people say, I'm going to get the plant-based milk because it's better for the planet. But that also is really questionable because some plant-based milks, let's say almond milk, for example, yeah. has incredible water waste and other waste involved in it. And you're cutting that out. You're pretty much cutting out the middleman and saying the waste already happened. Now we're turning it into gold, right? Almond milk to produce it, it wastes so much water. It's so water intensive. And so for us, we identified that same problem is like, okay, some of these plant-based products are saying that they're more sustainable or that they're healthier or that they taste better. But like, let's be really real about this because this is also a challenge in our food system is like food companies market to us to appeal to our emotions so that we'll buy them and continue buying these products But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're good for the human body or that they're good for the planet. And we're like, okay, well, we have to do both of those things. Like upcycling saves hundreds of gallons of water, a tremendous amount of land, a tremendous amount of energy because we're using this grain twice. It's not the raw ingredient and we can do better. And as you were saying, you're doing better by the planet, but also by our bodies because of 
the nutritional components of what you're making. Where did that knowledge come from? I was an athlete all growing up. I played on the basketball team at UC Berkeley. And I remember when I was at Cal, we were eating a lot of different protein powders and goos and gels and (laughs) all of these things. All these non-food foods. (laughs) All these (laughs) non-food foods. (laughs) And even for like training meal or like pregame meal, it was like pasta, carbo-loading. But for me, it didn't work. Like I never really achieved my like ideal playing weight. And so when I graduated, I was no longer playing like in team sports. I was suddenly like training for marathons and triathlons and I was on this solo journey and I started really realizing, okay, like first step was whole foods. The second step was plant-based. And then the third step for me was like sustainability, but I've just been passionate about nutrition since then. Understanding the power of plant-based nutrition just changed everything for me. Creating a sustainable system to process all of this spent grain is no small feat. And Take-Two is determined to bring human connection to food and the earth back to the 21st century. But they wouldn't be able to gain any ground if their product didn't taste great. Taste is what it all boils down to. With the collaboration of like-minded partners and an ingenious, dedicated staff, Take-Two is opening minds to their new milk and their approach to sustainability. You're receiving all this barley waste, which the barley waste is created in making things like beer, where the barley is just there to ferment, I believe, and do certain things short term to make the beer. And then it's just waste. And then it comes to you and in a powderized form. And then you add other ingredients to it, which are then mixed in through lots of experimentation. You came up with a great taste for it, and then it's bottled and distributed Did I get everything right? You nailed it. Good. That's exactly it. (laughs) (laughs) And for anyone who's never tried barley milk before, you said you worked really hard to get the taste delicious. What does it feel like in your mouth? What does it taste like? What does it smell like? Take two, barley milk is really unique. So barley is very mild, balanced sort of grain, similar to oat. A lot of people are familiar with oat having grown up eating oatmeal or eating oatmeal raisin cookies. It's got this really just like warm, delicious, toasty flavor. And barley is very similar, even though it's not as well known in the U.S. Maybe people sometimes use it in making a barley soup or something like that. We love it because of its mild and balanced flavor. It just lends itself so well to creating plant-based dairy products and in particular milk. Just overall mild, balanced, toasty, and it's just really creamy and smooth and delicious. And what has been the response from consumers to take two barley milk? The response has been excitement that there's something new. And then I think when people try it, they're just in awe that a plant-based milk could, again, taste creamy, delicious, smooth, and really satisfying. I think ultimately what really compels people is the sustainability piece. When they read on the bottle, the statistics, and 
they understand the impact of using this milk, it's just sort of game changing. You know, it changes your daily routine. Suddenly your morning latte becomes a vessel for impact. Like suddenly you're diverting barley from going to landfill by simply drinking barley milk in your coffee or putting it in your smoothie. And so I think that's what's most exciting for us is just seeing how equally passionate shoppers are about the same thing we're passionate about, which is creating a sustainable food system and really being great stewards of the planet. Jarek, this has just been such a joy talking with you today. Thank you so much for the great work you're doing and thanks for talking with us today. Kristen, it's been such a pleasure. Looking forward to continuing the conversation and just continuing to grow awareness around this movement. Thank you so much for listening to Innovation Uncovered from Invesco QQQ. Next time, we'll hear from Doug Donovan, the CEO of Interplay Learning, a company that's helping to shape the future of training and education in the skilled trades using virtual reality. The idea of using a simulated environment to practice those skills, it's a really powerful application of virtual reality. Subscribe to Innovation Uncovered, and if you like what you hear, leave us a review. Thanks for listening. Season two of Innovation Uncovered is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, ordinary people who shape the future by putting their money behind the right ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you to access the innovators of the NASDAQ 100, so you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. To learn more about what this fund can mean for your portfolio, visit Invesco.com QQQ. There are risks involved with investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETFs are subject to risks similar to those of stocks. Investments focused in the technology sector are subject to greater risk and are more greatly impacted by market volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies traded on the NASDAQ. An investment cannot be made directly into an index. Before investing, carefully read and consider fund investment objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in prospectus at Invesco.com. The opinions expressed are those of the speakers, are based on current market conditions and are subject to change without notice. These opinions may differ from those of other Invesco investment professionals. Invesco is not affiliated with T-Brand Studio, Kristen Meinzer, or any of the subjects or companies referenced in this episode. This content should not be construed as an endorsement for or a recommendation to invest in any of the companies referenced in this episode. Invesco Distributors, Inc.